Hey, hey, this is Brian Johnson with Mid-City Vineyard Weekly Teaching Podcast. Mid-City Vineyard is located in the heart of New Orleans, Louisiana. We worship on Saturday nights at 6 o'clock. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more about us, check us out on Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard Church, Instagram, at Mid-City Vineyard, and of course, online, midcityvineyard.org. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been in a really fun series entitled The Weird Words and Odd Actions of Jesus of Nazareth. And we've been looking at some of the strangest things Jesus said and some of the weirdest things Jesus did when he was walking on the earth. And this past week, we looked at a number of passages where Jesus actually talks about hell, as my uh, grade school teacher used to call it, H-E double hockey sticks. And uh, in this particular teaching, we entitled it, What the Hell Are You Talking About? Uh, as we look into what the disciples of Jesus, the people that were walking with Jesus at that time, might have actually understood about what Jesus may or may not have been saying. And contrary to much modern day thinking, uh, Jesus was not really talking about an eternal, conscious, torment kind of hell where bad people go for billions and billions of years uh, to be burned alive. And so we're going to take a look at this. What the hell are you talking about? Much peace to you as we head on over to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Tonight we will continue our series, The Weird Words and Odd Actions of Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> if you've missed any and you want to catch up, the, the uh, teachings, the podcast is online at midcityvineyard.org under the media tab, and you can catch those teachings, and uh, they've been a lot of fun so far. And so tonight, let me, uh, let me kick us off this way. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, here's what St. Paul says to the, to the church at Ephesus, and he would also speak this to us. He says, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, God would strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all of God's holy people to understand how wide and how long and how deep and how high the love of Christ is that you might know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. It goes way past knowledge and the understanding, and that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. And then again in the book of Romans, chapter 8, St. Paul writes this. He says, listen, I am convinced that nothing, not death, not life, not angels, not demons, not the present, not the future, not any powers, not any height, not any depth, Nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from this love that Christ has for you. So tonight in our series, I want to take a couple of passages where Jesus mentions a, a, a reality called hell. And I want to look into some of these because they are all of the all of the passages where Jesus 
the Christ mentions hell. They are very obscure and odd references. And if my understanding of the disciples is correct, because and, and these were simple men and women, I can only imagine that if, if, I'm, if my understanding of the disciples is correct, which I believe it is, because remember, don't ever forget that there were times where Jesus actually said to the disciples, are you still so dull that you don't get it? Like Jesus said these kinds of things, right? And so Jesus thought they were dull, so I think they're dull of head, kind of thick in the head. But I can only imagine that there were a few times when Jesus would tell stories and the, the disciples would look at Jesus and, and, and kind of like I went to a Christian school in seventh grade and my, my, uh, my seventh grade teacher would have said, what the H-E double hockey sticks are you talking about? Because I guess we weren't allowed to say hell. Matter of fact, Zoe Moon just came up to me and she said, are you sure it's okay for me to be in here tonight? Because I know you're talking about hell and if I hear you say it a bunch of times, then I might start saying it. <laughs> and by start, she means continue. So... <laughs> <laughs> I just, I can, I, can, I can only imagine the disciples saying, seriously, Jesus, what the hell are you talking about? Like, we don't, we don't get it. What are you saying? And ultimately, why would we even talk about this? Here's, here's, the, here's the ultimate thing here. Why I believe this matters is because I would suggest that much of what you think about heaven and hell and Jesus' mission actually determines your overarching view of God and ultimately determines how you and I will live our lives. It really, it all matters because we do have views of God and they've been formed in all kinds of ways that we may or may not be aware of. And so tonight, maybe we could see a little bit of from Jesus' teachings, what Jesus is actually trying to convey and how that might then play into our lives. And so, Spirit of God, again, we thank you for your presence here. And Holy Spirit, tonight, the good stuff, would you just let it land? You know, the good stuff from the scripture and, and from the, the, the things that, that I say tonight, Lord, the, the stuff that we really need, would you let it land deep in our soul and our spirit? And, and as our imaginations of, of who you are and the reality of who you are continue to be formed and shaped, God, may we know you and your love more deeply, more richly. And Lord, may our lives continue to reflect just how beautiful you really are. We welcome you here. Amen. So here's, here's one thing we need to understand from the very beginning. The Jewish audience. Remember now, Jesus is a Jew, right? And Jesus comes preaching and teaching, and he is preaching and teaching to the Jews to the Jewish people and the Jews of the time this is 2,000 years ago the Jewish men and women of the time had uh, a particular thought about the afterlife where the afterlife was not that much of a focus now it's interesting because in modern day Christianity the afterlife has this huge focus I mean so much of Christianity today is based on heaven or hell but that's only a development within the last 1,200 years or so. The Jewish audience of that day didn't have such this, this intense focus on the afterlife. 
Now, there were mentions uh, in the Old Testament. The word uh, Sheol, S-H-E-O-L, Sheol or Sheol, was used in the Old Testament. You'll hear this passage, uh, you'll hear this word used often in the Psalms. And Sheol was a place known as, ultimately, it was the, the Hebrew word for the place of the dead or the grave. And there were all kinds of people in Sheol. It, it, there was not a differentiation in Sheol of good people versus bad people. That's just where dead people went. The grave. During uh, uh, the, the intertestamental times, which is basically the 400 years of, of the silent period, this is the time between the end of the Old Testament and the birth of Jesus. There were 400 years between the last writing that we have in the Old Testament and the time of the New Testament when Jesus was born. And during that 400-year time, if you want world history, that's the time of Alexander the Great. That's the time that uh, uh, the Greeks were Hellenizing the world, and Alexander the Great was taking over the whole world, and all of these things were happening. Well, at that time, the Persians also had their own empires, and there was a, a religion called Zoroastrianism, and a lot of, they had their own thoughts of hell and afterlife and torture. And these teachings and these thoughts began to make their way across cultures and began to seep into even Jewish understanding. So by the time Jesus gets onto the scene, the Jews still don't have a whole lot of, uh, a, a, much of a grid for afterlife kind of stuff. They're still pretty much focused on this life. But they do have some of these thoughts and teachings that have come from Zoroastrianism and the Persian Empire and some of these things about hell and, and, and uh, a separation of righteous from the unrighteous. So Jesus knows this by the time he gets onto the scene. Now, I want you to, to keep that in mind and then move with me here for a second. In 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 8 through 10, uh, there's this passage, and you could jot that down or, and go check this out later, but there's this passage in 2 Kings where it says that King Josiah, now the king of Judah, he brought all the priests from the towns of Judah, and he took the priest with him, and he desecrated all of the high places throughout the land. Because remember now, the land had been, there had been wars back and forth, the people of Israel against all these other people, and when Israel took a particular land, Josiah now, the people of Judah, he went in and he said, listen, all the places where they had high places, where they did made sacrifices, the other, these other cultures, we're going to destroy those high places. From, uh, from Geba to Beersheba, he says, and wherever the priest used to burn incense of these other religions and other cultures, we're going to knock it down. He broke down, it says he broke down the gateway at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the city uh, governor, which was uh, left of the city gate. And although the priests in the high places didn't serve at the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, they ate unleavened bread there with their fellow priests. And so they destroyed that. And then it says, he desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. So no one could use it any longer to sacrifice their sons and daughters in the fire of Molech. What? So, Molech was one of the gods of the pagan people, so to speak. The people that Judah took the land from. And Molech was one of the gods. And Molech required of Molech's people required child sacrifice. So what people would do is they would go down to the place called Ben-Hanam and they would sacrifice their children in the fires to the god Molech. Historically speaking now, 
when Jesus came along, this valley, this Ben-Hanam, this, this place, this valley, is no longer used for the sacrificing of children, but it is still a place in the land of Israel. And it is a trash refuse. I mean, this is where they take out the garbage. It's like a, a, it would be a modern-day dump today, except much worse. Because the people who had disease, who died, would be thrown there. Garbage would be thrown there. Human waste would be thrown there. And it was always burning. There was always a fire burning. It started out as a place of sacrifice, child sacrifice, burning. Later it turned into a trash dump where the fire was always burning. It was filled with worms. It was filled with stink. It was filled with filth. It was filled with maggots. I have a picture. Check, check out this picture here. So here's what we have. I don't know how well you can see this. Uh, maybe after you can come up again. But if you notice here, this here is the old city of Jerusalem. Okay? So here is where the temple was. We looked at the temple a couple of weeks ago. This is where the temple would have been. Here is the city of David, and here is the city wall. Okay? The Mount of Olives. And if you look up here, I can't reach that high, but the blue writing up there says the Hinnom Valley. That is the valley. That's the waste. That's the dump. That's the place where the fire is burning, right up there. Now, the picture on the right, that's the valley today. Okay, that's what the valley looks like today. But today, there's still a valley in the land. You can still look from the city of Jerusalem, and you can look out, and you see the valley, but know that it used to burn with waste and filth. In Aramaic, the way you say Ben-Hanam is Gehan or Gehana. Gehana. The word ge in Greek means valley, and hana means hinam, the valley of hinam, gehana. So when Jesus says gehana, which now we translate into the New Testament, H-E, double hockey stick, hell, Jesus is saying to all those listening, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble. We looked at this passage last week. Cut it off and throw it away. It's better that you would enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into the fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of Gehenna. This is what they would have heard. And they would have said, what the hell does that mean? Matthew 5, 21. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject, subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to their brother or sister, uh, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in the danger, in danger of the fire of Gehenna. Matthew 28, or I'm sorry, Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. Matthew 23, woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over sea and land to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded... You make them twice as much a child of Gehenna as you are. 
there are a few other places in the New Testament where hell is mentioned. And the word there comes from the Greek word Hades, the Greek god Hades. And so the word Hades is used by Jesus once or twice. Hades, again, is known as a place in the, in the scriptures, as a place for the dead. Again, there, there's not a separation, so to speak, of, of the good from the bad, so to speak. The rich man and Lazarus is a parable um, in Luke 16 that actually mentions Hades. Now, why is, is all of this important? Let's, let's look at this for a second, because what happened was if the Jewish people of the day didn't really have a firm map, so to speak, of, of what Jesus is talking about, if they didn't really understand, so to speak, the separation of good from bad, if they didn't understand heaven and hell as the ultimate goals, then, then how did this come to play? Well, in the 1300s, there was an Italian poet by the name of Dante. You might be familiar with Dante because Dante wrote a series of poems, and one of his most famous ones is a poem called, or a, a work called, The Inferno. And in Dante's Inferno, Dante leads us, Virgil actually leads us, the poet Virgil leads us through the nine levels of hell. And in Dante's Inferno, you can travel various levels of hell depending on how wretched of a person you actually were. So, you know, you could make it to like this level and you're like, oh yeah, it's still like, oh, it hurts, it burns, you know, but I'm at, I'm at least at like level one. I didn't, I wasn't that bad. But then like, you know, Hitler, he'd go all the way to like level nine, you know, and so, and then we, and we have to, we have to really, this is where we have to start to, to figure out our own hearts because we take kind of as humans, we take some level of comfort. We're kind of like, yeah, finally, Hitler's getting what he deserves. I mean, we may not say it out loud, but we think it. And we're like, yeah, so he, he needs to be a level nine. But like, if I was there, I'm more like a level two, maybe even a level one, you know? And, and if I, if I, it's better for me not to lose my notes. And we understand because Dante explained to us that there's no leaving hell. Matter of fact, what's the sign that hangs over Dante's hell? Does anybody remember? Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. It's not an overtly Christian phrase. Doesn't sound anything like Jesus might ever say, but that's, that's the sign over Dante's hell. Our modern day thoughts and understanding of hell have so much more to do with Greek and Roman mythology and Roman poetry than they have anything to do with the actual scriptures. And we have to understand, we have to always keep coming back to this, but Jesus was the master of metaphor. Jesus was the master of hyperbole, uh, exaggeration. Jesus was the master of telling an incredible story that left people going, what? Did you, did, what a, okay, Jesus, can you explain that to us again? Are you guys still so dull? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, I am. But Jesus speaks over and over and over and over again in metaphor. We, we're the first to admit it when Jesus says, hey, listen, if there's something in your life that is, 
is, is killing you, if it's slowing you down, if it's causing you to, to go down bad paths, then it's better to just cut your hand off. Like, just cut it off. And we would be the first to say, well, he didn't really mean that. And we don't think he really meant that. And we talked about that all of last week. Because all of us in that case would be walking around with stuff cut off. So that's not what Jesus meant. Jesus spoke this way often. Jesus tells us that. He says, listen, here's, here's the deal. I have come that I might seek out those who are on the wrong path. And I, my, my desire is that everyone would come around to experience life and experience goodness and experience grace and experience mercy. And listen, there is stuff in your life, there's stuff in a lot of our lives that keeps you from experiencing more grace, that keeps you from experiencing more mercy, that keeps you from experiencing more freedom. Would you agree with me that any time that you so tightly hold a grudge against someone else and, and, and you are unwilling to move towards them or forgive, that it hinders and blocks you from living in more freedom? I mean, that's, you know, and that, Jesus would say, well, that's what we call the, 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 the wide path that leads to destruction. He's not saying that leads you to this, this reality, this place of uh, of burning flesh and maggots eating your skin. Like he's not, that's, he says, withholding forgiveness leads you down the pathway of destruction in this life because it's taking you, it's taking your freedom. It's stealing from you. Addiction does that to you. It doesn't matter what the addiction is. The addiction could be to, it could be to money. It could be to, 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 to alcohol. It could be to pornography. It could be to, it, could, it doesn't matter, but if it's robbing you of life and it's impacting your relationships, then it's stealing life from you. And Jesus, that's why he talks about the narrow path and the wide path. And he says few people take the narrow path because the narrow path is hard. The narrow path involves some radical stuff in one's life. The narrow path involves coming face to face with our own stuff and saying, yeah, you know what? I'm face to face with that, but I'm, I think I'm to a place where it's robbing me of life. And I don't want to be robbed of life because Jesus seems to be saying that there's more to it. There's more for me. Jesus came preaching salvation. Jesus came preaching liberation. Jesus came preaching freedom. Jesus came healing. Jesus came preaching and teaching and living out transformation. Hey, look, you're stuck here. Listen, follow me. My burden is light. And I can teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. Like I, I can... I can show you how to do this. I can carry the load. You don't have to be stuck in that place. Now, let me be the first to tell you that there are many a preacher who disagree with me on this, and that's okay. And let me be the first to say that you can disagree with me on this, and we can all still worship together, and that's okay. I, however, as, I, as I've been pressing into this year after year after year, am finding that my understanding of the mercy and the grace and the love of God is exactly what Paul talks about in Ephesians and Romans. He says, listen, nothing can separate you from God's love, not death, not life, not demons, not angels, not good times, not bad times. Like God is passionate 
about you, and he loves you. God loves you. And I think when we get this in, not just here, but like when we get it here, it changes the way we, we live because we're like, wait, you mean I am radically accepted? You mean I am radically loved? You mean God loves me so much that God radically desires that I experience more freedom and liberation and healing and transformation in my life? Yes. I believe that with all my heart. And so Jesus' whole thing is, hey, come get in on this. He says, what? Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. And we've talked about this all the time. Repent means turn around. You're headed in the wrong direction. Like, repent. You're headed that way. But the kingdom of God, God's reality, God's way of living is this way. So repent, turn around, and come live this way. The wide path leads to destruction. It leads to pain. Have you ever met anyone who, or maybe you yourself, who lives a life of hell on earth? I mean, I've met people. Sometimes it's their own doing. Sometimes it's the doing of others to them. And Jesus says, listen, I, I know, but I want to I wanna, I wanna keep moving towards you, and I want to invite you and me towards me. Gehana was the place of death, and Jesus would regularly say, it's better, it's better to cooperate with the ways of life than to cooperate with the ways of death. Here, now, right here, right now. And so Jesus says, come to me. All those who are weary, all those who are heavy laden, all those who carry the burden, come to me. Now, what about life after death? I've never been there. I don't totally know. But my best understanding I take from the scriptures, and I take from the scriptures on the whole, on the whole, not just, okay, right here, it's very clear from this one verse, this is how it is. You, you can't do that. You can't do that with the, with the scriptures. It doesn't work that way. You have to take the whole thing, and then you have to get with the Holy Spirit, and you have to get in community with others, and you have to kind of wrestle and, and figure. I've always, I, I actually grew up believing in a eternal conscious torment. I was taught in eternal conscious torment kind of hell so people who do wrong in the 70 year span that they get on earth will spend the next bazillion trillion years in an eternal conscious hell of torment that's, that's how I was taught my struggle with that particular view is that I find it weird that Yahweh the God who said quit burning your children in the fires of Ben Hanam to the God of Molech would ultimately eventually put his children in the fires. Like that one just doesn't make any sense to me. There are other Christian thoughts, depending on what tradition you grew up in, if you grew up in a tradition, there are other views, Christian views of hell. And I'm not going to press into all of them tonight. I'm just going to mention them to you, and you can start reading and having fun on your own that if it's a topic that you're interested in but there is a such thing there's a doctrine called annihilationism where a person would just simply you die and you cease to exist and those who have been connected to christ here on earth will they, their life they will be resurrected and continue to live there is a teaching of purgatory 
uh, which is that all people would die and they would go to a space or place where God's love would, would forge away the impurities in a person's life, where their character flaws would be healed up, where they would, they would be further formed and shaped into Christ's likeness. And there would be a movement eventually from that place of purgatory into the further deeper presence of God. There is a teaching, a Christian teaching on uh, universal reconciliation, which is a teaching that, that all people of all of creation in some way, shape, or form find a way, that God finds a way to reconcile all people to himself. And then there is the eternal conscious torment kind of teaching, which is what most mainline evangelical Christians have been taught most of their lives. And honestly, I personally believe that it is, of all the cases for all four of these, it makes the weakest case in the scriptures. But again, why would it matter and what is Jesus saying? It matters because if Jesus' hearers heard Gehana and they understood what Gehana was, then they would have immediately moved towards a place of Jesus is inviting us to a life here and now that is not filled with destruction, that is not filled with hate, that is not filled with envy, that is not filled with climbing our way to the top, that's not filled with murder and rage and anger and adultery. It's filled instead with mercy and grace filled with beauty. It's filled with forgiveness. It's filled with working through our crap with other people. Oh, well, well why is that called the narrow path? That sounds so amazing. Because have you ever tried to work through your crap with other people? That's why it's called the narrow, because this stuff is hard. Have you ever tried to fight an addiction? This stuff is hard. But Jesus says, listen, that's why it's the narrow road. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Get in on this. Like now, don't you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. You can get in on this here and now, and you can start ebbing and flowing and moving and dancing with what I'm doing. And so tonight, with passages such as Ephesians and Romans, I'd like for us to finish our evening together by standing at the communion table together and celebrating and connecting with the richness and the beauty and the love of Jesus and who Jesus is. Because Paul says again, I want you to be rooted and established in this love. I want you to have the power together as God's holy people to understand how wide and how long and how high and how deep Christ's love is for you. And I desire that it would go past head knowledge and that it would resonate deeply within your soul, your spirit, your heart, your being, that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. This is who God is. And when you understand this, you quickly realize that you will never, ever, never, ever lock eyes with another human being on the face of the planet that God is not passionate about, that God does not care this much about also.